Courageous is a word that describes America's veterans. Sadly, another word we can use is homeless. During this crisis, many veterans are living on the street. You can help. Donate at CardboardToHeadboard.org. I'm Paul DeGarabedian with Many Screens Big Picture, my newly relaunched podcast for Comscore. And I'm honored today to have Ben Hicks on the show. Ben Hicks is a South Florida-based photographer who has journeyed across the Americas and ventured to exotic locales spanning the globe to compose a profoundly diverse collection of fine art photography that truly captures the majestic beauty of the natural world. Through his photography, Ben aspires to advance the appreciation for nature and raise environmental awareness by depicting the natural world in an endearing and relevant manner that all individuals can understand and connect with. Ben's distinctive vision and inimitable approach to photography renders intricately detailed images that captivate viewers and serve as a testament to his enjoyment and reverence of nature. Ben, I'm so happy to have you on many screens. Big picture, welcome. Thank you, I'm happy to be here. That introduction, I think, speaks volumes as to what you're all about. And I know that so many people have related to your photography. And I I like what you say in there about endearing images. You're letting people who can't actually be there connect with your subject. And your subject is wildlife. Is that a point of view that you're trying to create to get people who can't be there to feel a connection with nature? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's in, in some ways, that's where I've fallen into. Um, since I was a child, I like to go out in nature, build forts in the woods as a kid, and then, uh, and then embrace it, catch the little lizards, look at their eyes, look at their little mouths, you know, see how they bite my fingers. So I've always been intrigued by the outdoors, nature. My parents introduced me to um, mountain biking, surfing, the beach. You know, I lived, I grew up uh, a block from the beach um, until I was in seventh grade. And that has a huge impact. Um, the images that I've created and um, and actually strive to now create more of is um, to bring that emotional connection. And I also do cinematography now as well, but a still image can uh, bring about a lot of emotion. And my emotion is to try to bring about, you know, the awareness um, from the environmental side, not just to love nature, but to like, how can we help protect that? How can we move forward on keeping them around? You know, so the next generations can continue my kids, their kids to see these uh, amazing animals. And so that's a goal of mine, quality and not quantity. You know, I spend hours and hours and hours trying to get one particular type of image that will really give off uh, an emotion and not just one, but for different people. A lot of people connect images, ways I never exist, you know, existed in my imagination of why they did. But yes, to try to create things that bring about emotion in uh, an environmental way, in a way uh, about life and beginning, in a way that inspires them to work harder that day or, or that week on whatever they're doing. It's something that I've strived to do better at and continue every day to try to bring people together through a baby sea turtle. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> I want to kind of rewind a little bit and talk about your upbringing, because I would imagine if you had been raised in a city center in a metropolis, would you have gravitated towards the beach or was it that you were there 
growing up. And so you, I mean, it's kind of a hard, it's an existential question, but it really seems to me that you were in the perfect place for your heart, your emotions, and where your parents and you, where they were living and where you grew up together. That's really interesting to me because you said you lived right near the beach and seemed like that was a calling for you. Yeah. You know, um, I think it probably, the future could have changed for sure if I didn't grow up next to the beach. And I said until seventh grade, because in seventh grade, my dad decided to change careers and we moved to Oklahoma. Oh, (laughs) the farthest you can be from the beach. (laughs) And it only lasted about a year and a half. And then we moved right back to where we were. Same town. I grew up in a small town in Venice, Florida, on the West coast of Florida. It's a beachy community. And so I came back to the beach and uh, I would skimboard almost every day after school, and I learned to surf eventually. And those ocean connections continuously brought about my you know, love for the ocean. Not just the ocean, but also I spent my summers in northern Michigan on a lake, uh, and we would catch painted river turtles. And uh, that really mm-hmm. kind of was my first introduction. And all my relatives joke about this because you know, I was actually the one going out in the canoe or the little rowboat catching the turtles with a net on the river bringing them back and then making this little tank situation uh, on the beach down by the lake to keep them for a little bit. And then eventually my grandma was like, you got to let that thing go. <laughs> you know? um, and, and that really brought my love to, to nature even more. But the turtles actually started when I was a little kid. I have pictures of me holding up painted river seats. When did you decide to document your passion? Like at what age, like when did you get your first camera? Because I remember my first camera that my dad gave me and I went crazy. This was like a whole new world opened up for me in this little box, you know, it was a little Kodak, you know, one of those uh, Instamatics or something. When did that happen for you? When did it, these dots connected between your love and passion for animals and nature and then photography came into play? So not as early as you'd think. Um, I went off to college um, to the closest school to the ocean, which comes back to a little bit. I, I, my parents were like, you got to go to college. I was like, eh, I'm not really into it. I love all my outdoors things. Academics wasn't a huge thing that I was into. But if I had to choose, I chose the closest one to the ocean in Florida. I had an academic scholarship. Florida has this program called the Florida Bright Futures Program, which pays for 75% if I stayed in the state. So I picked the closest school to the ocean because I wanted to keep surfing and you you name it. And my freshman year of college, uh, my sister had gotten a film camera, which that dates me. That's all there was at that moment in 98. I was like, I want to, can I borrow that? Um, And I wanted to shoot my friends surfing. So I borrowed it. And then that Christmas, that's what I wanted. So my parents got me a Canon Rebel. Uh, which is on the shelf down there in my collection of old cameras. And it's the beat up shelf. Oh, yeah, and so that kind of established my love for uh, taking images. But in that same time period, I was starting to try to th- figure out a career path and which direction. Originally, I wanted to go into audiology because as a kid, I had a lot of ear problems. I would go to audiologists all the time. And I thought that's maybe an interesting career to take on. My dad was sure. uh, a doctor, so it was kind of assumed a little bit like it would be great if you went to the medical field as well. But at that moment, I decided that I felt like art was something that was calling my name. And so my sophomore year, I changed my major to graphic design. And that was kind of the, the turn for me that I kind of like I started in the 
you know, fine art program. And that felt like about better home for me and maybe a career that I could, you know, find a passion for and not just go to work every day one, you know, and do something you're not completely passionate for. So yeah, that, that really kind of established it. 98, 99 is when I first really picked up a camera and started shooting really action sports. Tell me about that because I think, Ben, I think people are really interested in that. When you talk about action sports, I always think of these images that you see, whether they're stills or moving images. And I think it's tough enough to be the person doing that, like surfing or rock climbing or whatever they're doing. But then you figure there's somebody on the other side of that camera who's concentrating on all those things, plus looking through a lens. Does it make you invincible as like a cloak of safety when you're beyond? Like, do you almost feel like, well, I'm not going to get wiped out by wave. I'm not going to. Does it feel like that because you're so concentrated? Because it's fascinating to me because I'm thinking these surfers are 100% locked in on that. You might be doing both things. How does that work for you? Uh, you know, it, it combined my love for athleticism, doing action sports myself, and art, which is documentation of creating images. And you're right. There's a lot going on. I started out shooting everything under the sun. I shot for a wire agency and I shot pro sports from indie cars to NHL hockey, you name it. And you do kind of get wrapped up into it. You know, there was one time I, you shoot ice hockey down, you know, on the ground, on the floor, you have a little hole to put your, and you feel like you're kind of invincible, like, Oh, I'm behind the camera. Well, there's about a, you know, one in 0.5% chance the puck comes through. And the guy that was right next to me kind of made that a reality one night. And I never really thought about it. You know, I was young. I was only like maybe 19 or 20 at the time. And I was like, oh, boy, I can get hit by the puck sitting behind the glass because uh, he didn't have his camera in the hole. You know, somebody right. was clearing the puck from the other end and it wrapped all the way around and went right through the hole and shot out behind us. You know, in a sense, it is kind of like, you know, being a cinematographer on a set where, you know, I'm like, they're the ones that perform. I'm kind of behind this black wall that, that I don't have to be in front of the camera. Although it's very difficult and there's a lot of things going on in your head, you're not as much pressure, right? right. Shooting surfing. Um, so initially, I was restricted, I want to say, to be able to only shoot from land. Uh, I didn't have the money to put my camera in a housing or anything like that. So I continued to shoot action sports and then also started to get into things that actually might pay me some money. Because action sports, is everybody wants to do that, right? I uh, eventually got a housing. And that's kind of really where you're a part of the ocean. You know, you are out there in the element. The surfers are coming by you at fast speeds with very sharp devices, (laughs) a.k.a. their surfboard, their fins. There's a reef right there, super shallow. And I loved that challenge. Like, it was just, it was exciting, you know? I mean, there's a lot of risk involved. You know, not just my gear getting ruined, but also myself, the chances of not getting any images also, you know, you hardly could see the screen was when I got a housing, finally, that was with a digital camera. So I never shot film in a housing 36 rolls swim all the way back inside. Those poor guys had it way worse than I did. I, you know, I love doing that. And that's really what, um, stemmed a lot of my, uh, most interesting images and also what really brought on my passion to shoot nature and where my map started to be established of what I was in the photography world. Because on those surf trips, 
when I was younger, following some professional surfers or people that would hire me to shoot them, I would on my own time go and shoot nature. I started creating a blog on this website called Slave to the Wave. And they were like, we're getting all these people logging on to this website, reading your blog. And that's what I became a little bit known for. And still to this day, people come up to me and like, oh, you were the one making blogs on Slave to the Wave. And so those nature images were most interesting. What year was that then? Um, so that would be maybe like 2006 to around then. I graduated college in 2003. I was interning in an ad agency at that time as a production artist and then went into as an art director, production artist, graduating college, they hired me. My plan was to move to Southern California after college and goof around. And so I stayed with that ad agency for a year just to get experience. And then I quit my job, moved out West. And that was my last job, actually. In college, I was freelancing, creating design work, but also at the same time, I was starting to create images in commercial world to kind of like float the rest of what I was doing as well. You know, going on surf trips, getting paid kind of um, (laughs) as a surf photographer. Uh, And then I goofed around California for a couple of years, came back. And then in 2008 is kind of where it changed. Uh, I was invited Mm -hmm. by my good friend from college to document sea turtles. She was a biologist, still is a biologist. They do a lot of the um, nesting monitoring in these beaches in South Florida. So I went out with my housing because I was the only one with the housing. She said, hey, could you come document some stuff? And I was like, yeah, sure. And those images I put on my blog, my website, personal website. And, you know, I had people from all over the place say, hey, can I get a photo of that? And I was like, yeah, you know, no, I want a print of it. I was like, like on your wall, like my picture. You know, before (laughs) that, I was just giving images for publications or commercial usage or anything like that. I hadn't really ever sold a print before. And those were hatched and sea turtles that I had shot. And that kind of really, that's where it changed for me. That's where I started my fine art side of the business um, within about a year or two after that. That's really interesting because uh, I like how, you know, you did slave to the wave and you start getting noticed. I presume embraced by the surfing community because you kind of have to be to be out there and and get that respect, which you clearly uh, had. And then sometimes we don't expect to go on the path that we wind up on. I I didn't think I'd be where I am today. And then there's always that turning point. I think it was slave to the way, but then that the sea turtle images, and there must've been obvious, look, there had to have been something about your eye, your vision, your point of view that really resonated with people. Cause there's probably a gazillion pictures of sea turtles out there, but not in the way that you did it. Maybe that's the biggest win ultimately. Cause that's the empathy that comes from, if you can't get that in person, like we talked about at the top of the show, by being there, you are transporting the viewer to that spot. And then looking into the eyes of these sea turtles, then they get that emotional connection. It's very powerful. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, you know, I also got into it a little bit early. I didn't really know anybody else photographing hatchling sea turtles in a professional way. Nowadays, like you said, there's people all over the internet does that do it and have a passion to do it and so on. Obviously there's some national geographic photographers that had sent on assignment that have done it. Um, Brian Scary, David Dublé, some of those guys that are very well known for their underwater work the last 20 years. 
And so I kind of got into it a little bit early before it became more popular. Um, this is before mm-hmm. social media really kind of took off. And um, in a sense, you know, I, I timed it well. Um, but yes, in, in a way, you know, I tried to create the images. It's not just a documentation of a turtle, but more of a, a emotional connection with each image that I want to present to the public. You know, tell a story within each image. You know, picture is a thousand words. Well, I need to make sure it's 10,000 words. I think that's really true. Pictures worth a thousand words, but your pictures, I think, are well more than that. I think that's why they resonate so much. I, w- I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. Just talk about like, what's your hairiest experience out in the water? There's two stories that I'll tell you. One from the surfing side and one from the sea turtle. So surfing side, I was in Sumbawa in Indonesia. It's an island next to Bali and documenting surfing probably around 10 years ago. There's this peak called, uh, it's two waves called Lakey Peak. And there's only two channels to get to the break. Inside is a massive lagoon water and the tide comes in and out pretty aggressively. I was swimming that day and kind of warned actually by surfing magazine's editor that no, you probably shouldn't swim there. You know, I had asked Jimmy Wilson beforehand. I said, does anybody ever swim at Lake Peak? I've never seen images there. And he's like, no, it's the current's really bad. And so I was like, I got it. You know, a lot of those guys, you know, I consider myself pretty fit person. I was ready for the challenge, right? There's a bunch of surfers out there to save me. So it was fine the first couple of days. The third day, it was a lot bigger. Finished shooting, surfers go in. And on a surfboard, you have a flotation device, really. And you can paddle in, you know, when you're just floating in the water. When I'm out in the water, I have my housing, which is neutral buoyancy, right? So it floats. Mm-hmm. And then I have my fins. Yep. That's it. No mass, no snorkel, nothing like that. And we finished shooting probably around two hours. I was out there, maybe a little more. So I'm already pretty gassed out, you know, um, a lot of calories spent. And that's maybe not even the first session that day. And I just couldn't get in through the channel. The current was overbearing me. It's too strong. And so 45 minutes went by. I couldn't get in. Oh, my God. And the other surfers had already, because they don't ever worry about me, because I'm probably one of the most fit, you know, out there. And they're like, oh, he's fine. Yeah. I'm sure he's just goofing around shooting empty waves, which is most of the time after I get my assignment done, I'll do my own thing, especially when the light's going down, the light's getting better and better oh, sure. and better. Um, so they didn't think twice about it. And then eventually, you know, I see it's probably two or 300 yards to the shore. And I see one of my buddies like walking up and down the beach and he didn't, you couldn't really see me because I was so far out there. There's no fishing boats, nothing around. There's no more surfers in the lineup. And eventually they see me and they're waving. They get a, uh, like a big long board, I think, or a paddle board or something like that and, and swim out. And the one guy gets caught in the rip and goes way past me. <laughs> and at that point I finally, I was still struggling. I finally got in. Yeah. And then that guy who's a well rounded professional surfer, was caught out there. This was dark. Oh, no. This is pretty much dark. He eventually makes it in. That's kind of the most harrowing. I've experienced in the water in a surfing experience. I've had some hitting the reef, walking right on urchins. When I didn't think there was urchins there. Get urchins in your feet, sea urchins. On the sea turtle side, uh, in Florida, back in Florida in Palm Beach, I uh, often shoot right at sunrise or even before sunrise. So it's kind of the water's dark looking, you know. And you never know really what's in there. 
and uh, there was this little hatchling going out. I was kind of shooting from the knee. So you, you hold your camera down. You don't look through the viewfinder because everything happens really quick sea turtles. They run out. They hit the water rolling fast. And so I got to be on top of it. And he hits the shore break, really, really sh- small shore break, very calm day. And out of nowhere, uh, a shark just <laughs> gobbles him right in front of me. Most likely a spinner shark, uh, which is very common actually where I shoot. Most of the time they won't get near humans. And they're not very big. They're maybe three, four feet, five feet at the most. It's still a shark and they still have sharp yeah. teeth. And it looks exactly like, you know, anything else. A man in a gray suit. And my camera was like, you know, probably two inches from the jaws and my hand and everything. Uh, and he just by chance missed me. What? You know, the worst thing about the whole thing is there's no documentation because I hadn't even had it on yet because uh, usually I wait for it to get through the shore break when it's dark out because there's not enough light for my camera to see the light. The ISO is way too high. And then I'll uh, click it, get it on, and then start doing adjust. So I didn't have it ready to go. And that would have been quite, <laughs> quite a crazy image. Uh, but that's the kind yeah, of the like closest. level. I think your yeah. safety is the most important. I'm glad you're okay. <laughs> yeah. I had one this past year, uh, kind of an interesting yeah. thing. Same time of day, I was probably maybe 50 yards out there. I was shooting, shooting the turtle going right out on the surface. And down below was kind of dark. It was really, you couldn't really see. And I'm mainly focused on this tiny turtle right in front of me. I don't see anything else. I don't see below, whatever. I'm focused right on this turtle. Once again, you really get caught up in the element. I go back to my office that day. I look at the images and right in the background is a big old shark swimming right behind us. Yeah. And I posted that photo like a while ago, but uh, the turtle was kind of out of focus. The shark was actually the one almost in focus. <laughs> that was just a nurse shark, which they're harmless um, unless you yeah, but try to hold it. But it's a shark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me ask you, do you ever shoot at night in the water with lights or anything like that? I do not. I mainly try to depict nature as it's seen through the human eye. Yeah. Um, so I try not to have very much Photoshop. Um, I, and there's lots of different opinions about this, but I try not to use a flash with hatchling sea turtles or any turtles in general because their eyes are mm-hmm. very, very sensitive. Oh, yeah. Larger sea turtles during the daytime and or at nighttime, I don't think there's a lot of evidence saying that it hurts them. But for me, using a flash at night, it kind of just, it just looks artificial. Yeah. So the only time I use a flash usually is shooting waves, like very, very early in the morning before sunrise and some crazy colors. Yeah, yeah, to freeze the waves and get really good color. But shooting nature, I usually don't use a flash unless it's like a fill flash, something that will help the image illuminate a little bit. But you can still see that it's, that's kind of how you would see it, you know, if you were there in person. That's my philosophy behind it i'd say um yeah the hardest part shooting at nighttime is shooting at nighttime there's a lot of elements that suddenly become very difficult visually seeing anything getting anything in focus i have done some cinematography at night on assignment Mm -hmm. my nature images you know that's more like on the commercial side of things but but the nature images that i show i really just try to show them in their natural state you know in a sense that's very cool because in a way, your images are very bright, not just in tone and look, but also what they represent. They're much in the light, not to get too metaphysical, but 
it makes sense to me that they, they would be that way. And also you get the real detail. And w- like you said, without using a flash. And also I like how you don't want to be invasive. You want to kind of be transparent in their world. Like you're not at a model shoot. Like, hey, give me pout, put the camera right in their face and to get the shot. You're literally there just to bring their world to the outside world or the rest of the world. That just speaks, again, volumes as to your ethos. So I want to ask you, what kind of uh, equipment do you use? I want to hear about your studio. I know you have a beautiful loft and a workspace that has all kinds of elements to it. What's that all about for you? You live, you're immersed in that environment as well. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, so my gear is really just a tool. I'm not too much of a gearhead. I currently shoot Canon, which I've never shot anything other than Canon. I've tried some Sony, tried some Nikon. I had a, a Leica for a long time, actually. But for shooting sea turtles, nature, I shoot Canon 1DX Mark II cameras, which is uh, mm-hmm. a higher-end SLR, get off the shelf. And then I mainly shoot prime lenses for most of the sea turtle work, which are Canon as well. And those go inside of an Aquatech camera housing, which it's more of like a splash housing that's very user-friendly. You can see the whole camera. It's translucent back, has all the buttons. I can adjust everything. I've been using that same thing, same type of setup for uh, about 11 years now. Um, Obviously, as things update, I constantly get new gear. And I also use an iPhone in the water, actually. Oh, really? Blows people away sometimes. But yeah, I shoot with uh, my iPhone sometimes. Uh, A lot of times we do behind the scenes or uh, you have it as a backup. And that's mainly because it's real small. Um, I can publish things very quickly. I don't think anyone would imagine that you'd be able to do that, but that totally makes sense. That's great. Yeah. I mean, the iPhone technologies, I couldn't have said this seven years ago, but uh, now, you know, it's it's (laughs) very comparable to a point shoot camera in some ways. And so, uh, yeah, I put that in a housing, an Access Go housing, same company that makes my other housings. You know, I try to bring as least amount of gear as possible. I think the main difference for me is I don't scuba dive. My career is kind of derived back to where I was telling you about how I grew up going to an audiologist all the time with ear issues. And they also said, you know, you probably will never be able to scuba dive. Oh, because um, the pressure. Because the pressure. And so... I got into doing underwater stuff and I have friends that went underwater stuff as well, you know, shooting and then end up just going the dive route and they are a diver and they shoot down deep. Well, I never could do that. So I had to stay on the surface. So I really just focused on ambient light and surface work. And that is actually one of the, the journeys that I've had that really has kind of, you know, made my work stand out is because I did only use simple gear. You know, I'd walk along beaches and then swim out, never really go from a boat and mask, fins, snorkel and camera. And that was it. No dive gear. And so I was always shooting shallow water. That's one of the things that probably makes me a little bit unique as compared to a lot of the underwater photographers. Now I have scuba dove since, but it's very difficult for me to get down. But I did a bunch of scuba diving in Indonesia about two years ago. But other than that, so like you said, I do have a flash, but I don't use it really for that much nature work, mainly just for waves sometimes. Um, I have a whole array of long lenses for above the water, your typical Canon zoom lenses and prime uh, telephotos. And then in my studio, you know, I call my office. Most of my friends and family and wife would 
call it my goof around. You know, I, I get to goof around for a living. In reality. Um, and so we have a, an office warehouse space. And it's about 2,000 square feet total. Here's where we have like a little gallery with, uh, we keep about 30 pieces up. And then we create all the images here. We print them on Canon printers. And then we make uh, the canvases here. We create the stretcher bars for the canvases from scratch, from sustainable source. Everything in house. Yeah, yeah. Everything in house. Except for our metals. Our metals are done with a vendor just up the coast from here. And I try to, like all my products, I try to keep made in a responsible way. Mm-hmm. So I can get more into that. And then uh, in the back of our studio, I also shoot a lot of commercial work. So a whole another wing of what I do is my commercial business. And by commercial, you mean what types of things might you be shooting above water? <laughs> Today, I just shot a campaign for Valentino uh, fragrances in Bloomingdale's. That's what I did all day this morning. <laughs> Complete change. Yeah, that's quite different. But wow, good eyes a good eye, right? Yeah, I continue doing commercial work, and I still do a lot of commercial work. Another client of mine is a, an author, and he has 22 books. So I'm photographing all those in the studio at some point. Really, the commercial work goes all over the place. It takes yeah. me places. And also, a lot of times, my commercial work overlaps with my fine art because there's someone that's in the sector of nature or something like that and wants something in the water shot or we did a, a watch company needed product shots in the water and they came to me cause that's my specialty. I have a lot of experience shooting in the water. So it overlaps quite often. So yeah. And then I have my yeah. office upstairs where I edit everything. It's about two miles from my home uh, in Boca Raton, Florida. I've seen images of your studio. It looks like you have a very high ceiling there that it's very open. Yep. It seems like a space that's incredibly conducive to your uh, creativity and being able to express your art. I want to definitely, before we wrap up, talk about the Sea Turtle Conservancy and get your take on that. I really want to give you a platform here to talk about the importance of that and how your work will continue to build that awareness and your mission going forward and what that's all about. Yeah, so I try to use my images as a voice, obviously, for environmental awareness. And in order to do that, I have to use a lot of organizations like the Cedral Conservancy. And I, a lot of times, just donate my images for those that can use them. And they can reach a broader audience than I can. You know, it all kind of started that way. I tried to let, you know, the organization that I first photographed with that monitored the beaches, you know, it was kind of say, hey, can you use these images to, you know, bring about awareness to what you guys do? That's what I constantly try to do is try to reach others that are out there that, that already have an established organization, usually nonprofits, and try to have them use some images to be able to better educate their audiences to help raise money for whatever they do. There's a local one, Gumbo Limbo Nature Center, which is about a mile from where my studio is, the way the crow flies. you got to go around the intercoastal. We're very close to the beach. And, you know, I physically um, try to help them out as much as possible. That's fantastic. I, I love that you're doing that. Yeah, it's, you know, in the end, I mean, we're all here for a teeny blip in history. You know, I just try to make a difference whenever I can. You know, I'm lucky I can make a difference and be able to make a living at it. That's uh, that's super grateful to be able to do that. And and also wake up every day and, you know, I look forward to doing whatever my day is like. Most of my sea turtle work is just on my own. You know, I 
go out with biologists who have permits that I have my name. They are, my name is on their permit. And I just am documenting alongside them. And then from there, I try to let them have the images and then I can use the images as well. But yeah, I do a lot of local stuff as well as organizations. I've been working with the Seizure Conservancy for a long time, providing images for them to use. They've invited me on expeditions and the Oceanic Society I've been working with as well. Most organizations do stuff with the Monterey Bay Aquarium, uh, you name it. The really cool thing about it is um, I get small organizations all around the world that monitor sea turtle activity and nests predominantly. And they're all volunteers. And they just, they have a bulletin board usually in their little town. A lot of times they're, you know, tiny little villages with no money. And they're just like, well, we just want to have a picture for our bulletin board to say what we do. And I get that, you know, probably a couple times a month. And I love to be able to say, yeah, anything you want, let me know. And because that's really touching upon the parts of the world that really struggle still. There's a lot of places where people still eat sea turtle eggs. They still use lots of single-use plastics that end up in a sea turtle's belly. And it all starts from, you know, if they can see a really, really impactful image of a baby sea turtle, they can maybe say, hmm, you know, down the road, maybe I will not use a a single-use plastic silverware, bring my own, or not ask for a straw at dinner. And that'll, in the end, make a huge difference. if We kind of all strive to, to do that. I've seen uh, images of you literally when you're out there doing your thing. If you see a piece of plastic, you pick it up. Uh, you know, you get it out of there. I like what you're saying, too. Don't use a straw. Like a plastic straw is the worst thing ever. Something as innocuous as that or seemingly innocuous. Once it lands down the chain in the ocean, it can have a really profound impact in a negative way on the environment. Yeah. You know, it's just like voting in a sense, speaking of the topic your vote counts, you know, every single little vote builds up to one giant vote, right? The same thing with plastics and trash and you name it, you know, if you set an example and then whoever your family members or friends say, Oh yeah, look, he did that. You know, it it goes fast. Like it'll suddenly trickle down that the next party you're at, there's not a hundred thousand solo cups. Hey, maybe everybody brought their own cup, you know? And as far as picking up trash, I hope that most people, go to the beach and, you know, if they have a hand free, they pick up trash, you know. Unfortunately, my son, who's four, has taken that to extreme levels. And (laughs) everywhere we go, you know, you go to the grocery store, he's like, oh, there's a, the gnarliest, like, piece of gum on the ground with plastic on it. He's got to get it. And I'm like, dude, don't touch that thing, you know. Who knows what disease is on it. But I, but exactly. it's trash. It could end up in the drain and it goes out in the ocean. Oh, look at that. So I can't take complete credit because my wife is also environmentalist and um, she actually works in the environmental field as well. She's really like brought it upon my family to, you know, to make a difference. You know, you don't have to do it to that extent, but when you're out right. there picking up a, a plastic, you know, water bottle or you know, not going to Costco and buying 50 water bottles this week for your fresh water. <laughs> it makes yeah. a difference in the long run, for sure. Ben, where can we find you on social media? And I assume on your social media pages, your Instagram, wherever you are, and you're everywhere, that you have an, a way for people to find out more about the Sea Turtle Conservancy, about these various organizations that are really looking out for the environment. How can people find you and then find those organizations as well? 
Uh, you could find me. So I am on Instagram at Ben J Hicks. I, that's my middle name, J. And then also on Facebook, which is Facebook. And then you can type in Ben Hicks Fine Art or Ben Hicks Photos. My website is benjhicks.com. And as far as finding, you know, a lot of people ask me, how can I help um, out there? And a lot of times I just say, you just go to Google. If you're near a coast, and even if you're not near a coast, there's lots of environmental organizations. But if you're near a coast, you know, type in your city and then ocean cleanup. There's already an organization that exists, and it's, it's right there on Google. Um, you know, there's sea turtle organizations all around the world as well, obviously, to, to get more detailed as actually helping sea turtles. You can also adopt sea turtles from most of the sea turtle rehabilitation centers. Um, Gumbo Limbo, the one I work with, you can adopt a sea turtle. Loggerhead Marine Life Center up the road, you can adopt a sea turtle. Uh, the Marathon Sea Turtle Hospital down in the Keys. They have lots of programs where you can uh, adopt a turtle, and that will provide a certain amount of funds that will go quite a bit of distance to help uh, one of their hatchlings that comes in that needs to be rehabilitated or a a larger turtle that got struck by a boat or or has plastic in its esophagus. I'll make a pledge to you on behalf of my wife and I. We will definitely adopt a turtle or more than one turtle effective today. I didn't even know about that. You just raised my awareness and we're going to do that. So I can't tell you, Ben, how honored I am to have you here. I think we've only literally scratched the surface on what you do and and what you're doing and and what the future holds for your career and and what you're trying to do for nature and uh, conserving our coasts and looking out for animals. It really is inspiring. And then to have that vision that you have and through your eye, bringing that to all of us through your photography is really profound and really moving. So thank you. Thank you again. Love to have you back sometime soon. It's been an honor and a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon, Ben. Thank you. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.